This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Hello, everybody out there. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Pelzer, joined once again by Mr. Dan Hodgman. Dan, I am back. You are back. Barely, but I am back. What a week you have recovered Woo. from being nearly smote. But uh, you're here with us today to uh, talk about something interesting. But uh, first, did you look at the markets at all last week while you were indisposed? No. No, no. The Rona got me pretty good. Um, I was down for the count for a solid four days. But my, my my routine was wake up, shower, put on sweatpants, go lay on the couch, put on TV, lay on the couch until bedtime, get up, go upstairs, crawl into bed, go to bed. I mean, I did that for four straight days, five maybe straight days, and didn't look at the markets once. Just because I'm always curious, did you kind of know you had it? before he got tested so i had it for probably a week prior to know probably four or five days prior to knowing i thought i just had a simple cold like i had a cough and some sniffles and i had been out snowmobiling and burning the candle at both ends for like two straight weeks i was like god i I deserve a cold like i have a cold so not this last saturday but the saturday before i woke up and i was like "Ooh, i don't feel good today and um my brother was actually at my house and he goes, please tell me you have smell and taste. Please tell me you have smell and taste. And uh, I took a sip of my coffee and I was like, I can't smell it. Then I like went and grabbed a Dorito because like that's some strong flavor. Yeah, that's that's some flavor powder. Couldn't taste it. And uh, so I looked at my brother. I go, I think I got COVID. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I got no smell. I got no taste. So I uh, I rushed over to the the hospital where they do the testing and my doctor was able to call in real quick for me. I got a rapid and within about an hour, I got the phone call from them saying, yep, you need to uh, quarantine for the next 10 days and not leave your house. You have COVID. So, well, we're glad that you are on the mend. Uh, How many days you got left in your quarantine? So I'm coming up on my 10, but they basically said they want 10 days from the first sign. So, my first signs, I'd be at two weeks right now. Okay, well, good. So I'm not leaving the house until uh, f- until Friday. Yeah, there's not much to do anyway. But uh, thankfully, it's getting a little bit nicer here. Well, since you're back, we thought we'd uh, hit you with a special topic. And we can start by weaving in some stuff about uh, we've had an active day in the markets to start two days to start the markets this week. We're recording this on Tuesday. But we could do it through the lens is today we're talking about trading against the clock uh yeah. that's what i'm stylized calling it which is uh, how time guides trading now you've heard us talk before about time in technical analysis we're not doing as much of that it might play in a little bit today whether you look at short-term charts long-term charts where the long trends versus what's happening right now uh today we're talking more about sort of how the time, uh, the duration or the length of a trade might change the way that you deal with it as far as getting in, getting out. 
and sort of uh, setting your game plan as far as that goes. So I guess I'll start with just sort of a leading question is that, Dan, how long you think on average you hold a trade? Till it works? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I'll lay it out in a couple different facets. If I'm day trading, if I'm focused on getting in and out in the exact same day, those trades tend to be anywhere from two to four hours. Um, I'm not in them much longer than that. I'm not really in a much short. It's very rare um, that I'm going to trade for a very short period of time. Obviously, if I catch a, a quick ripper, you know, I got in a trade and I catch that rip right away and I hit my levels that I like, okay, I'll shut it off. But um, for the most part, my average trades are, especially my winning trades, I should say, are two plus hours. My losing trades are usually, I, I, I want to know pretty quickly. I keep my stops relatively tight. So I, I, I know within a half hour if it's a loser. I, I usually know, I feel like if it's a loser within like two minutes of putting the trade on, like, yeah, that's a loser. But uh, no, that's usually the time frame is I, but I go into every trade from a day trading perspective with an idea of when my profit target should get hit. If I'm getting in and saying, look, I'm looking for this thing to rip really, really fast here in the next five to 10 minutes and it doesn't, I'll shut that off um, and get out. But I like to have an idea, part of every trade I take, you know, where's my stop? Where's my target? And how long am I going to be sitting in this trade for? I like to have at least a general rule of thumb. Now, obviously, uh, there's other stuff I'll sit in for two, three days, sometimes a couple weeks, um, really never anything more than a month unless it's some stocks that I'm buying for long term. And I don't call that a trade. Nice. Well, that puts you firmly in the day trader category. Um, so there's traditionally three names that we give to traders, types of traders, depending on how long they hold trades. But I've added two. So you'll get, I'll mention uh, when they are Jack P's, just expanded versions. So the five different types of traders I would call are the three traditional, which are day traders, swing traders, position traders. And then I would add on the extremes, these are the ones that I have just decided I'm going to make, I'm doing my own thing, right? Like Shakespeare inventing words. I'm going to put on one end scalpers and on the other end, active investors or just investors. I'm going to, I got to throw a wrench in here. If the term investment is involved, I would not consider that trading. It's a whole different mentality. Two different hats come on, or it's a different hat for each one. Because anything I look at for more than, if I'm going to be in it for a month, whether it's an options trade, if it's anything, anything over a month for me, I would look at that more as, hey, I'm looking for long term here. I'm looking at this investment. Now, it's usually more than just a month. But if the term investment is included, I did air quotes there. I'm saying that's not trading and that's investing, two different things. So I will, okay, so I'll drop investment. I like scalper though. A, a B in your bonnet. What I'm trying to get at with that last category is maybe what you would call not investing, but I, I would call it long-term stock picking because I think that investment, I, I think indices, I think safer investments versus somebody whose entire portfolio is uh ride or die five meme stocks, right? (laughs) Right. I don't know if we can call that investing. So it's it's long-term position trading. Yeah. Which is what you and I used to do at the prop firm. Yes. Yeah. Managing positions. So starting at the one end, the very short end with usually you start day traders, but I'm separating scalpers out from that in part because 
we just uh, filmed Coach's Playbook. We were talking about moving your stops around, and you can check that out on the Top Step YouTube page. But I think a, a good conversation that we arrived at there was if you'd created a matrix of how much you trade and how much you manage a position, is that many, many, many of our traders, especially those that are struggling, are in that overtrading, overmanaging quadrant. And I think that aligns with scalping. I think that, you know, of course, Dan, you were on the floor for a while. If you talked to Hogue, who was there for, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, that was a way that a lot of people made a living. And in case you're completely new by scalping, we're talking about taking a bunch of trades, kind of pseudo market making almost. Is there any insight you would give further about what you consider scalping? I just consider it overtrading for too little. Overtrading for a quick tick. I mean, you know, you're looking to make one or two ticks in your risk. More often than that, when it comes to scalping is your risk to reward is way out of out of line for what we're looking for in these days. You're usually risking something like 10 to make one. Um, and you're doing that 20, 30, 40, 100 times in a day. Yeah. And we've discussed. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just I don't know that working for anyone post floor life long term. Yeah, there's no wrong way to trade if you make it work. At the end of the day, I cannot be here and say that if you say, you know, F off, Jack, I have been <laughs> scalping and been doing it incredibly for years and years. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm Great. a big old dumbass. But by and large, <laughs> that is somebody that was new to it. It's sort of like um, I've been getting back into I'm trying to think of someone with like a super odd shot or baseball swing or something like that it's if, if you're somebody that can hit it like matt that, wolf let's go matt let's wolf go the golf. golfer matt yeah. wolf's golf swing he has you a, just can't you can't replicate that it is not what you see in the textbooks he takes the club way outside he lifts it he the does big the hip, shake, dip, hip dip the hip dip before he even picks the club up so i golf uh you know Matt Wolf should never listen to me. Of course not, because he's a way better golfer. So if you can make it work, it's all good. But if someone was starting from scratch and wanted to know how, what they should be looking for, is I would not recommend scalping. Yet, it's some. I, I feel like we just see people try and do it constantly. And as we've mentioned before, this is kind of a rallying cry of this podcast, is that just the nature of the market now and the way market making is algorithmic and computerized the and efficient they have great uh machine learning formulas the the deck is really stacked against you if you're trying to do that sort of trading you're not fast enough it's not using your human advantages it's very simple in the sense of it's a human competing against a computer chances are you're trading on a laptop at home they're hardwired right into the into the exchanges they they have that cat five wiring their speed is 10 times faster they're paying the tens of thousand dollars a month to get able to execute at a much higher rate that you can even ever click your mouse these hfts these these computers that are washing away this they're taking it doing the scalping in a sense um the, it's impossible to compete with them the costs involved to be able to do that on a profitable level are astronomical. I think they can, the milliseconds at how quickly they can execute versus what you can do from home is 
not possible. And also just the compare. burnout factor of staring to try and make that many trades in a day. Uh, you know, like a real life modern day John Henry over here. Uh, yeah. But he dies at the end. I recall how that story is. So <laughs> we'll move on from uh, the, the scalping to day trading, which if you're with Top Step or um, listening to this podcast, that's probably a lot of what you're doing. So day trading is uh, when you usually hold a position for a few hours. Generally, within the day, you're not holding positions overnight, by and large. This is where a lot of the advice that we've given on the podcast or playbook or blogs goes in about having a good reward to risk ratio of, you know, at least two to one or something like that. And then holding play, uh, holding trades. That's the word I was looking for. As Dan said, usually for a couple hours. So Dan, do you, like we were talking about earlier, you're against moving stops. You kind of let things either work out or not, but do you ever get worried as a trades getting stale or does it, is it all you're always waiting for a change in market state? No. So I think there's, you have to come in with a plan. First off, obviously if this mark, if a market I'm trading is relatively range bound and I've defined a channel, I know my highs and my high side, low side that I'm gonna look to execute on. I might be able to get three or four trades in that day. And they might be a lot quicker. If it's looking stale, let's say I'm trying to catch a, I'm on a trend trade, the market's moving in a direction, and it looks like it's really stalling out, that's where I'm going to start to look for, okay, what's order flow looking like? Are the buyers getting overbought here? Where's my delta at? And then that's when, that one, that's where you have to make that discretionary decision of, I think it's completely run out of steam. I don't think it's getting up to or down to the level that I was looking for. And I'll maybe sit in it for a little bit just to watch how the market reacts. Um, eventually, I'm going to have to close that trade. So I'm looking for that for it to get stale. I, I definitely am. You see it a lot of times. I think we saw it in, I want to say, crude oil yesterday. Crude oil ran up to 61, 66, something like that. And that was, that'd be Monday. Crude oil ran up pretty strong. And it really looked like it wanted to get to last week's swing high. And so I think a lot of people were probably long trying to run it up to last week's swing high. The market just, it stalled out. A lot of times when it stalls out, it's you've got time to recognize that. Now, if it's a quick reversal, if it runs up, touches, and comes right back, hey, that's the nature of the beast here. Um, it's turned around. It's over. You know, you're going to take your, you're going to get out of that thing. You Maybe you're going to take your loss and you're going to have to move on to the next one. But if you start to see it stalling and you're going to recognize that, the buyers are not overpowering anymore. Um, we're in a stalemate. We've kind of found fair value for this product. No one's really making any making this market move in any one direction or the other. Once you recognize that, close that trade, lock in those profits and be done with it. Knowing when to close a stale trade is especially important if you're a day trader who has limits placed on you as far as if you are you know, just by how you fund your brokerage account, or if you're in a program that you have to close your trade at the end of the trading day, then it becomes more important to recognize earlier when something's getting stale versus always kind of being at the mercy of whatever the price is going to be at the end. And this is a little bit voodoo, but as I've said, anytime I was just trying to hold a trade till the end of the day, hoping something good would happen. Somehow they always knew where I was and 
put it the other way. I'll tell you what, I watch the funded traders quite often. And one of the things that I've noticed are you can tell the trader that's having a rough day if they're in a position at three o'clock at the end of the day. You know, they've been having a rough day. You can see them moving in and out of that trade pretty heavily. You know they're having that rough day. I think when it comes to time as well is knowing the times of when you're going to be trading. Very rarely are you going to catch me putting anything on after 2 o'clock on, on any given trading day. Um, we're getting too close to the close. You don't know what's going to happen at that close. If it's a Thursday, maybe you're going to start to see that profit taking coming in. If it's a Monday, you might see them, all right, let's get in this thing. Monday's been a directional day. Let's run this thing up and see if we can hold it for the week. You don't know what the decision-making that's happening at the end of the day. Um, so have that plan, too, of the time of day you're trading. Don't deviate from it. For most of my trading, most of my execution is done between 7.30 Central Time and probably 12.30 to 1 Central Time. That's when most of my execution's done. Now, I'll close trades out in the overnight. I'll close trades out after my regular execution time. But, you know, have that idea of when you're willing to execute. You don't want to be executing a couple minutes till the close. Yeah. And especially as we zoom out. So next is we start going into swing trading and then position trading. Then, especially for super long-term people, then you might see people more getting involved in the power hour, as they call it towards the end of the day because you don't necessarily want to be executing it in some crazy moving market. But most of the traders that I've talked to in this position or when I was working at the firm is most of the trading gets done early. That's the most active part. I mean, I'm not saying anything revelatory to most of you guys, but just remember that. And there's a reason that it happens then, right? It's Absolutely. When the releases are, it's when... It's just the way the humans approach uh, the market. So as Jim Carrey says, it's the way the cookie crumbles. Indeed, he does. In what movie that uh, Bruce Almighty. That's <laughs> the way the cookie crumbles. So as we move out, if you're holding trades for a couple days to what would be the upper limit you'd put on swing trading a week or two? Yeah, I you know, once you're past that two weeks, I think you're looking more position. I mean, if you're in an outright trade for two straight weeks, you know, longer than that, sure, I guess you're technically swing trading an outright position. But I think most of the time, if you're in something that long, you've hedged, you're starting to create a position. So you've got multiple things on to hold a trade that long. Some of the same things we're talking about with day trading still apply, though, where you're still, if you're swing trading, you're obviously looking for a bigger move. You're looking at longer trends. But there's still the idea of things can get stale. And sometimes you have, you know, not the abrupt cutoffs like you do in um, the markets, but you might have some earnings data or some GDP number, an unemployment number that you want to be out of before that. So you can still have these time limits. And there's other considerations that come in as well, because now you start getting into opportunity costs more so than you do when you're in a in a day trade, right? If you're holding a trade for two weeks, you might be tying up a lot of your capital in that trade. And if it's not producing, it might be worth reevaluating going to something else. I trade a lot, probably more in the position trading we're going to talk about next, but I trade a lot in that sort of 
week to a month range. And something I constantly think about is, has it already made its move? What is the ROI from this point forward? Have I made enough on it? Am I making enough going forward if I do hit my profit target? Or should I just take it up here? If you're looking for, say in a month, you want to get 10%, let's make it easy. And on the first two days, it goes 7%. Well, yeah, I'll probably take it off because otherwise I'm exposed to all this risk and waiting for 29 days to make 3%. And that's not really what the idea is either. So you have to deal more with opportunity cost. Um, Dan, you do a decent amount of swing trading as well. Is there anything else you think about as far as the time? No, I like the way you put that, Jack. I think it's important to recognize if the market makes that move pretty quickly within that first day of executing, you're looking for, let's go with the 10, you hit the seven. When you talk about those costs tied up, there's a lot of capital tied up in that trade. If you can lock in that 7%, I think there is a very important thing you've got to look at and say, how much money can I make? How much did I just make in the 7% move? Now I've got another, let's just call it 29 days to look for that next opportunity instead of having this money tied up. How much money can I make in 29 days if I have this cash disposable to do this again? And it creates opportunity. So a lot of times people do. They're definitely looking for to squeeze every little last bit out of it. And you know what? I don't really spend that long on a tube of toothpaste. If it's close to the end, I toss it, I grab another. I buy four packs of it. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not willing to I don't need to sit there and pinch it off and trying to get every little last ounce out of it because you'll cut your finger. You cut your finger. You don't want to waste your morning doing that. And I think the same principle applies here. Take what you can, but you have to have an idea. You've got to have a plan going into it. I think it's very easy to say, well, I made the 7% in the first 24 hours. I'm looking for another 3%. I got 29 days to do it. If that's your plan, okay. But if you look at it and say, all right, I'm getting in this. If I can get 6 7% return right away, let's lock that in. And then I can move and I can adjust and I can use this capital for some more opportunity. Yeah. And depending on the product you're trading, I think a lot of people are futures traders, so this won't apply. But um, you might also be paying to service. Like if you're trading stocks or if you're short something, you might be paying margin interest if you the longer you hold a trade. Great point. Or if you're short, this was what our thing constantly is back in the day, we would trade futures versus the actual cash bonds. So if you were long the cash bonds, short the futures, you would get paid repo payments, basically, because bonds are an interest bearing thing. And if you were short the cash bonds, you would pay the interest. So if you wanted to hold a short position in something like that, now generally the prices respond like that, but it's something you got to pay attention to. And I believe I'm not a big Forex trader, but I believe there's- yep, so I was just going to say okay. Wednesday nights, you get hit with the swap. The swap may pay you, which is always nice, but you know, you're paying your swaps for the weekend on Wednesday. So you get hit a little heavy on Wednesday to hold on to a position. If you're in the profit and you like what you got, avoid having to pay extra. I mean, treat it just like a business. I mean, really have to keep that mindset. How much what's my carrying cost? How much is it gonna cost me to hold on to this? You know, if volatility increases, all of a sudden margins get adjusted to hold on to this position. What do I, what am I dealing with? You know, keep those things in mind. Oh, and you can get hurt too by, in some of these products, I'm just speaking from the bonds end, you can get hurt on 
once you go to the financing markets, right, things can change, right? You can get hit with special repo and something that you thought was going to cost you X is costing you three X per day to carry. It's it's not fun sometimes. Right. Make sure it, it all comes down to making sure you know what your product is, what your costs are involved in and do the cost benefit analysis. Ask yourself, is it worth carrying? Is it worth accruing these costs for that extra couple percent? Sometimes it's probably not. Yeah. Look for another opportunity. And basically position trading, which is the third traditional one, is it's the same kind of idea as swing trading, except you probably look at a more zoomed out chart. You might look at some weekly charts. It's just uh, more hands off, sort of like we talked about earlier, where we see too much over trading and too much over management. If you're in position trades, that's sort of the uh, opposite quadrant, right? Not that you're, if you're doing it well, you're not under trading or under managing, but it is a more hands-off way. You don't have to stare at the market every day, and those are going to be... I would say my position trading has me more hands-on, more paying attention to what's happening, because as the market moves, I've got to hedge myself in a different aspect to continue to be able to create profits. That's always been one of my more difficult things is when I'm in these bigger positions, I'm way more involved and I lose a lot of sleep over it. Yeah, yeah, you're making me rethink what I said because you were talking about like the hedging stuff. It's like you don't think about the main position, but then I find myself- You don't think about the main position, but as that market ticks up and down, your deltas are changing. So then you're stuck watching a lot more of, okay, what's my cost here? Now, if you're just doing a basic hedge of, you know, Buying the Nasdaq sell on S and P, okay, that's not it's not a true hedge position. Um, but if you're doing a true hedge, you're paying attention to your deltas as the market moves. How many do I have to buy a future to hold against that? You know, where what do I have to do? And yeah, you have them scattered throughout your dome, and that's that one I lose a lot more sleep on. Are you position trading options? Yes. So so you, yes. and then hedging with futures. So I, I I'm I'm doing the opposite where I'm buying stock and hedging with options. But I still f- find myself looking at a hundred different options to be like how you know. Then it gets into like how far out do I want to go with this? How much do I want to pay? You know, it, it, you're right. The hedges become a whole new thing. But I think that it's just a whole new animal. I mean, that's when things get just wild. My first job, first thing I ever did in the trading world was hedging. I was a hedger. Um, I, I was, I want to say I was 16. I was down on the floor just hanging out, you know, didn't have school or something. And, um, my dad's hedger, my dad had four guys in the pit and he had one hedger outside. I think that's what they were at at the time, um, or working that day. And well, he, he had to run to the bathroom. And, uh, so my dad screamed out of the pit, just throw the headset on in case I have to ask you something. So I throw the headset on and I'm standing at the screen and all of a sudden I've got like four different people yelling in my ear, buy, sell, buy, sell, or not saying buy, sell, but it was 50 for one, one at six. And I had to start to learn what at and four meant. Yeah. Pay, pay, pay for, sell at. Yep. And I panic mode for about 10 minutes executing trades. And that was the first ever thing I ever did in the trading world. And uh, that's that's where I 
grew this obsession with it was, God, that was fun. I was exhilarating, and uh, I didn't make an error. I fortunately kind of had an understanding of what they were saying, and uh, in my 10 minutes, I didn't make an error. Nice. We made some money that day, and uh, it was fun. Nice. You're absolutely right. The more you talk about the hedging and stuff like that, the more I realize. So I'm running an experiment this year with my Roth uh, Roth 401k, where I'm trying to run it like a uh, like a fund manager, and I have this goal. I'm gonna make you know I'm gonna make at least twenty percent, and the amount of time. <laughs> and you know what? Like because I'm relatively young, it's not even necessarily like a ton of money at this point. When you add up like the hours I'll spend on this versus uh, like the opportunity cost <laughs> isn't there, but I'm I'm learning how to do it. So it's been my obsession. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, it, I think I think ultimately a lot of times when we look at it, we're like, okay, I put a position on. I can just sit back and kind of let it go and. If it's a if it's a single trade that you're calling a position, sure, you can definitely do that. But if you built out a decent size position across multiple different assets that you're trying to manage, it gets uh it gets exhausting. Yeah. And then I figured out a name for our fifth category, because we didn't like the investing okay. thing. I'm gonna call it long term speculation. That's better. Because I don't know That's better. I, I don't know what to call people who have sat in gold or some stock for 30 years who are just who call him my grandpa <laughs> it's my grandpa he's the guy's got bags of silver and all sorts of precious metals in a safe somewhere i don't know where and he bought them back in like the 70s and 80s and thought it was like gonna be the greatest investment ever and he doesn't know what to do with them he doesn't even know what the cost of gold and silver and platinum or whatever he's got is at this point but everybody knows. And I would say he's not a long-term speculator. I don't think I'd put him in any of the categories we have here. He's kind of a hillbilly, rednecky doctor. Okay. Yeah, that's so. That sounds good. He's an interesting character. For sure. We'll have to get him on here sometime to talk about his <laughs> gold positions. So I guess uh, from this rundown here, our big sort of takeaway is, uh, to answer the question, is it smart to place time limits on your trades? And my thought on it is that I think it is smart and advisable to know which one of these buckets your trade falls into and stick to that plan. What we don't like seeing is seeing a scalp become a day trade, a day trade become a swing trade, a swing trade become a position trade, uh, burying that position trade in your yard and holding it for 70 years. That's not trading. Um, so that would be my thought on it. And then... Be cognizant. If a trade's getting stale or feeling stale, be cognizant and weigh the opportunity costs and any financing considerations or things like that and make the most informed decision you can then. You don't have to go all or nothing on every trade. I, I would agree 100%. And I want to go back to that point you're saying. Don't let one roll into the next. I've said it before you know, everything, every way, every approach that you take, you're wearing a different hat. Um, if you're day trading, if that's the plan going into it, you're wearing that day trading hat. If you're swing trading and you're putting on a trade that you plan on holding on to for a week or two or three, you have that hat on and don't allow that day trade to roll into the swing. Because when you do that, things get really muddy. 
Um, and because eventually it's going to be very easy to free flow from day to investment. And they're all completely different things. So every trade you do, whether it's a day from down to a scalp all the way up to investing speculation. Yeah, long term speculation. speculation. All the way up to long term speculation through the spectrum of five, each and every one is a different hat and you have to stick within that the confines of that specific trade and don't deviate it. Now if you like it and say, All right, I'm gonna close this day trade off, but I still really like this. I'm gonna look at this for some more long term, so let's take that approach. But when you get into it, you get out of it for the same plan. Right. That you got into it. And because for. we talk to traders, that's usually the trap we see uh, going longer and longer. I suppose the opposite could be true too. We just don't see it as much where you keep on bailing out on trades early. That could be bad. If, if you have a plan, that's why I think you always have to evaluate what the ROI you want or what you're looking for out of it. If you bought Tesla five years ago because you absolutely believe in the company, it doesn't make sense then to you know dump it because you made 10 bucks on it. Right. So just know what kind of trade you're in before you do it. And then, you know what? It'll just make your life a lot easier. So I think that's probably a good place to end it. Absolutely. One last thing on time that I want to touch on, though. Time. Time is a lot of different things, but also one of the biggest things that I can't stress don't hesitate to take time off. I love taking time off. I think everyone on our YouTube knows that I take plenty of time off, Um, I enjoy getting away. Yeah, I enjoy it, but it's also a great reset too. So time is a lot of different things and don't be afraid to take time off. Taking last week off, yeah, it wasn't chosen. It wasn't by choice. It wasn't really the most enjoyable time off, but it helps me reset coming into things and looking at the markets with a clear mind. Yeah. Because I totally forgot even where the markets were at last week. I mean, I was not there at all. That can be a nice feeling. Yeah, I feel like I'm not going to be on my deathbed wishing I had flipped five more lots of bases. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, some good philosophical talk by uh, Dan has been to the other side back now Ooh. and uh, like a monk instructing all of us uh, how to get more out of life. So, Dan, thanks for joining today. <laughs> um, everybody out there, uh, we're going to be running some neat campaigns pretty soon for Top Step. So we'll keep you attuned to that if that's something you're into, if you're trading futures or Forex. Uh, but in the meantime, it's Thursday afternoon, and you know what that means, right, Dan? You know. I got I got my tongue right there stuck to the top Y'all of my know, palate here. I'm gonna, you know. I'm going to take, take a sip of water real quick. We're keeping that one in. Sure, I don't care. Do it. Um, you know what that means, right, Dan? Absolutely. Uh, the weekend's right around the corner. Yeah, damn right it is. So enjoy yourself, take some time off, namaste, and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.